Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Open it up to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a number of scriptures, but that's a theme scripture that we've been on. Uh, We're finishing up a short little series today that we've entitled Out of Order. And it's short, but it's really profoundly important to help us to begin to understand what what does this Christian pathway look like? How are we supposed to live out our life? So the whole thing's about how do we begin to uh, realign or to line our life patterns with the priorities of the Lordship of Jesus. And the premise is that it really doesn't matter what our personalities are or what our family context or our callings or careers or the context that we're in, the particular season of circumstance we're walking through. None of that really matters. Jesus invites every single person who will listen to him to step into his leadership rhythm. In fact, he even uh, in one place says, if you're exhausted, if you're tired of just kind of trying to manage the stress, even if you're doing well, if you feel like, I don't know if I can keep up with this, man, or if you feel a little bit of anxiety, he says, come to me. And he says, let me show you the rhythms of grace. Let me show you how to walk at a different pace, and it's a pace and a rhythm that will allow him to be more involved and more at the forefront so that we're not constantly scrambling. Well, Luke chapter 6 gives us the three fundamental steps straight from Jesus' mouth on how we, we are to do this when it says we are to come to him, we are to hear his sayings, and then we're to put those things into practice, not perfectly But to the best of our ability, with all of our heart, we're trying to do what he says. So we come, we engage in some conversation, we listen, we catch the things that he's telling us to do, either from the word of God or from the Holy Spirit's prompting on the inside. And then we say, okay, help me to do these. And we begin to weave those into our life, making whatever adjustments are necessary. And as we do that, He says the people that are living this way, again, not perfectly, but to the best of your ability, he calls them wise builders. And he says what you're doing, whether you realize it or not, is you're laying a foundation under your life that will sustain you through any storm that life throws at you. Not just for you, by the way. But there are promises that it'll sustain your marriage, it'll sustain your family, it'll, it'll sustain you know, other endeavors. Whatever you put your hand to, God will be involved in that. But it goes right on and says, but if you don't, that's just not smart. The Bible actually says that's being foolish. You have the opportunity to do something that is literally life-altering, and yet you choose either by omission or by intentionality, you choose not to do this. And when you do that, what you people don't realize is you leave yourself vulnerable to not only the distractions, but to the destruction that is prevalent in a world that's been marred and twisted by the results of sin. But more importantly, you leave yourself vulnerable to an enemy who is bent 
on stealing and killing and destroying every part of your life that he possibly can. If he can't get to you personally, well, then he just goes to your marriage. If he can't get to your marriage, then he goes to your kids. If he can't get to your kids, he goes to the grandkids. He's bent on stealing and killing and destroying everything God intended for you to experience and to enjoy. And so we safeguard ourselves. We lay foundations under ourselves by coming to the Lord on a regular basis, by listening to what he has to say, and with the help of the Holy Spirit saying, okay, then let's go ahead and put that into practice. Well, week number one, Brandon, uh, Pastor Brandon did a phenomenal job. Sorry, sometimes I forget the pastor part because he's my son. But Pastor Brandon did a phenomenal job at introducing this series and helping us to know what does it look like to come to, come to Jesus? How do we do that on a regular basis? Then last week we talked about what it means to hear his sayings, and today we're going to talk about putting them into practice. Now, I wanted to frame that in because for those of you that have been part of these kinds of teachings or this is not new information, it's right about now that a lot of Christians start to feel pressure. It's right about now when we say, okay, now, we understand what Jesus is saying, we understand, okay, ready? Now we're going to do it, and that's when people start feeling the squeeze. Some of them feel like, I, I can't do this. I've tried over and over, and I just can't seem to get the rhythm. I do it for a little while, but then I can't keep up the, you know, the schedule and the pace. Other people are just frozen, like, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I, what? Like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean come to him, and what do you mean talk to him? What, what is that even like? What, how do I listen to him? And they're kind of frozen. Some people are saying, okay, so I'm doing it, and by the way, I've been doing it for a while, but it just feels mechanical. I don't think it's that relationship thing that you keep you know, reading scriptures in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not getting any of that. And then there's a few people, maybe more than that, that if they were just really super vulnerably honest saying, can I just tell you, I don't want to do this. It's not my thing. I'm kind of okay where I'm at right now, and I just don't really want to do this. And so I, I want to read you a scripture before we get started in looking today that's so vitally important that you understand that is, is available for all of us in multiple areas of our life, but this one would, would be a real primary one. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you that that means that you will never ever feel the condemnation of the Lord. Once you accept Jesus, you will never feel the condemnation, the, the, like kind of the furrowed brow, frowning judgment of God on your life ever again. I'm not saying you won't feel something like it, but it won't come from the Lord. Now, conviction where he's sitting you down and saying, I, I really need you to, to listen to this. I really need for you to get help. Let, let me help you to get a handle on that. But not condemnation. The difference is condemnation will push you away from him. Condemnation will make you think, well, he doesn't want to talk to me now because I've tried this so many times and I still can't do it. Or he doesn't want to talk to me because he knows in my heart I don't even want to do it. And so he doesn't, condemnation will push you away from God. Conviction, you'll feel him pulling you in. And so it says there will never, once you accept Jesus, there will never be condemnation that comes your way. And this is why it says uh, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, you've been put on a different pathway in life. Now, how well you're walking that, that's a whole different issue. 
but you've been put on a different pathway in life. And then it tells you why this is true. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. And he's telling you there is two laws here. Don't think about like the speed limit kind of law. Think about the law of gravity. Two powers at play, two, two things, two, two forces that are, that are at work here. And there's one force, and that is that you feel somehow you have to earn God's approval by your behavior. That's what the Old Testament was about. When, when they were sacrificing and, and paying attention to all these moral codes, wanting to get the approval of God by their own behavior. But we're in a different mode now. It's the New Testament. And he said that the law of the spirit of life in Christ, or the laws that go into play, once you've accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, that makes you free from all of that behavioral measurement stuff. And here's how Hebrews 10, 14 says, it says, because by one sacrifice, Jesus perfected you forever so that now you can turn around and you can learn to become holy. Let me say it a different way. By one sacrifice, you were given the ability to be born into God's family and be a legitimate son or daughter of God, which then gives you the privilege to now start learning to grow up and be who God wants you to be without fear that God's going to kick you out of his family or that God's not going to feed you or God's not going to clothe you or God's not going to do all of those things that parents do for their children even when the children aren't behaving right. Okay, so there's separate issues. And you have to recognize it doesn't matter where you fall. I can't do this. I've tried. I'm confused. I don't know how to do it. I'm trying, but it just doesn't feel like that's what it's supposed to feel like. I don't really want to do it or any other question that comes up. I want you to know all of those come under this umbrella. If you've accepted Jesus, God doesn't condemn you for that. It's just part of growing up. It's just part of learning, well, what do I do with that? Now, how do I take this feeling? How do I take these hesitations? And how do I get them going down the right pathway? And that's what what Jesus was talking about when he said this, this, this statement to his disciples in Luke 6. They're walking along. He's been talking. He's been teaching. And they're walking along. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, why do you keep doing that? What? Why do you keep calling me Lord? And then you don't do anything I say. Why is that? And you have, you have to read that and not hear it as Jesus was turning around and condemning these people. He wasn't sharply, you know, correcting them so they felt, you know, like demoralized and see, you know, yeah, that's me. I'm just this. He, he was doing that to help them to understand that if we're not careful, we fall into these tendencies that we assume if we're in environments where his word, where his presence, where the worship is, we assume that's the same thing as walking with him. That's the same thing as submitting to him. That's the same thing as drawing from him and letting him live life. And Jesus is saying it's not. He's in essence saying, you guys have been with me all day. 
In fact, if you read that passage, they'd been with him, at least this particular crowd. It was the 12 disciples and then some others that were following him through, through this, uh, this, this scheduled tour of villages. And Jesus is teaching and he's praying and he's healing for people. And they were all with him and the environment was awesome. And God was in the house. And people's lives were being changed. And they were feeling the goosebumps. And they were feeling the inspiration. And the tears were coming to their eyes. And they were saying, Jehovah is God. And, and we have a covenant with God. And we're, we're reminded of that. And this is wonderful. But Jesus says, yeah, but here's the problem. You keep acknowledging my lordship. You're singing about it. You're, you're declaring it in your prayers. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm just so grateful that you're saying those words. But you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. And he wasn't saying that to condemn them. He was saying that to kind of wake them up and to bring about a realization that you need to be following me. In fact, they understood, and sometimes we just genericize it, the word Lord there is actually a title given. It's the word kurios in the Greek. It's actually a title given that refers to someone who's the master or the owner or the ruler. We might say the boss. Not like, hey, hey boss, you know, and we're just talking to anybody to be courteous. We're talking about genuinely the one that holds the ruling authority. And they understood that. And by the way, most Christians should too. Because if we're looking at the Bible, Christians got saved in Romans chapter 10, verse 10 and 9 says, what got you saved was you believed in your heart that Jesus was not just Savior, he was Lord. And you said that with your mouth, And the Bible says you were saved. The truth is, many Christians, I'm so tempted to say most, many Christians got saved by acknowledging that Jesus was the Savior, never really fully thinking about the fact, oh, that also means he's the Lord. I'm not just giving him my sins so that I can go to heaven. I'm giving him my life. Now he gets, he's in charge. Now what he says goes, this whole come to me and listen to what I have to say and then do it, that's not just kind of an option for people who are, you know, especially devotional or people who are especially, you know, spiritual and just really want to walk in that way. That's their thing. That's not my thing. Well, no, we said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. And so Jesus is, is kind of startling them to say, why do you keep saying I'm the Lord and yet you don't do what I have to say? So we've got all these questions, right, about well, how do I do it and am I doing it right and why doesn't it feel like I'm supposed to and what do I do if I don't really want to do it and yet, you know, I'm kind of, and, and here's the thing, listen, we don't stop to understand there's another principle involved here that we don't often bring to the surface, especially not in today's culture, and it's called Obedience. And we get to obedience, to be honest, to be just really honest with the principle, it doesn't really matter if you want to do it or not. The Lord, the owner, says this is what you need to do. I grew up in a different generation, as you can tell from my gray hair and no hair. Um, but that generation, it wasn't hate speech for mom and dad to say, because I told you so. In fact, I'm pretty sure sometimes mom and dad said that just because they wanted me to understand, I don't always have to give you an explanation. 
I don't, and sometimes, I, I looking back now, sometimes even if they would have tried, I wouldn't have understood the explanation. I was at a different age and stage and, and there were factors involved that I couldn't possibly wrap my little tiny uh, immature head around. But dad would say, hey, listen, I, I want you to do this or I don't want you to do that. But why, dad? That's no fair. Everybody else. Yeah, I, I, get, I get all that part. But I want, I, I, I'm not everybody else's dad. I want you to do this. Well, but why, but why, but why? And, and he, would, you know, he, he was a little bit patient, not hugely patient, but a little bit patient. And there were times when he would say, listen, I don't know how else to explain it to you, so let me just give it to you this way, because I said so. You know, my little immature fleshly heart hated that more than anything else. Because that just kind of pushed all of the fluff away and drew the line and reminded me, listen, there's only one parent here and you're not it. You have to do what I'm supposed to do. But what it took me years to recognize was he was giving me an essential principle in life and that is that there are times that submitting to authority is the right thing to do even if there's no explanation, even if there's no rationale, even if that's not your preference. And can I just be bold enough to say, even if you happen to be right, doesn't matter. You're not in charge. And we have to understand this is, in, this is important. Yeah, listen, I'm not saying it always turns out great. And sometimes the, the whole, I, because I said so, is based on reaction. It's based on emotion. It's based on incomplete or misunderstood information. And so it doesn't really track, you know, and, and play out the way that everybody hoped. But that doesn't mean we throw the baby away with the bathwater in this principle. It is really, really important that we understand there is a line, a chain of command that is universal in the earth. God established it. And God talks about the incredible blessings that come when you and I honor authority and submission, even if we know that that authority is not right. Like there, there's chapters devoted in the New Testament to that. If you're under a boss and he just happens to be a jerk, he just happens to care only about himself and he will use and abuse you, the Bible says when, when we will endure some of that and we'll do it looking to the Lord and saying, you, you told me to stay underneath this authority and as long as he doesn't tell me to go against the Bible, as long as he's not telling me to deny Christ, then I'm just gonna stay in line until you tell me that I can leave and find a different job or I can do something else. Now, there, there's a lot of complexity around that. I'm not talking about abusive situations and, and you know, we, we don't wanna overcomplicate. I'm saying there's a baseline principle here that as Christ followers, we should be well aware of authority and submission, especially when it comes to those leaders who you know their heart is to do what's right and to, to do the best for whatever the, whatever the, you know, the, 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 the authority is. If it's in the company or if it's in the marriage or if it's in the family, when you know their heart's right, then you are bound by kingdom to let them have authority. I knew this about my parents. Again, my dad wasn't always super rational about things. He wasn't super patient. He didn't walk through, you know, these very thorough explanations. But I knew that when dad said those words, because I said so, it didn't matter whether I liked it or not. I knew that there was, a, there was a, an, an honor there that I had to preserve or I was in violation of a whole nother principle. And I understood that. He helped me to understand that. Well, if that's true, 
I mean, just broadly speaking, universally speaking, if that's true with organizations, with our parents, then how much more would that be true with the Word of God? How much more would that be true with the Lordship of Jesus? And so it's important that we understand, we kind of hold these two. First of all, there's nothing that Jesus is going to say, he's nothing he's going to instruct or command us to do that's for his own benefit. It's always to our benefit. Always, always, always. Number two, there's nothing he's going to instruct us to do that won't leave the flex for process and reaction without the condemnation of God. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to help us to walk through and process and life coach and mentor us and and instruct us even in the complications of us making the decisions and making the life-altering adjustments. We have to give room for that growth. By one sacrifice, Jesus perfected our relationship with him. That's never gonna change. We're a son, we're a daughter of God because we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and we've been born into God's family. Now begins a whole nother chapter and the next chapter will last the rest of our life here on earth and according to the Bible, will continue on in all of eternity where we grow and we develop and we understand how to live the way God designed us and has planned for us to live. When we understand that, Listen, when we come to these areas that are not simple, they're hard, that they're complicated, they require time to process, we won't freeze up, we, we won't run away, we'll lean into it and say, ah, th- this is a tough one, and I got all kinds of emotions everywhere, and we'll bring those to the Lord, not feel like we have to walk away from the Lord till kind of everything cools down and God forgets about it, and then we can be back in, in the good graces of the family. That, that's just not Bible at all. It's not true. And so understanding this, today I want to talk about five truths. We're not going to spend a long time on these, but five truths uh, about biblical obedience. It's not a bad word in the kingdom. In fact, when you begin to get a, a context for it, it's a wonderful word. God doesn't want to obey God doesn't want us to obey because he's got an ego problem. He doesn't want us to obey because he's embarrassed in front of all the kingdom when, you know, here he is, the God and the judge of all the earth, and his own kids won't even obey. That's that's not the issue. It's not that he needs to feel more powerful so the more people he can get to obey, you know, it kind of inflates him. And No, he wants us to obey for one reason and one reason only because it's to our benefit all the time. He's always got our best interest in mind. He's always looking to help us to alleviate stress, to remove us from danger, to to eliminate unnecessary risks and keep us in peace in our life and protect us and provide for us. All of those things are the top of the agenda like it is for any good father when he's looking out for his children. And so we have to kind of rethink about obedience, and we're going to walk through five truths that will help us do that. Here's truth number one. Biblical obedience is not legalism. Biblical obedience is not legalism. And I say that because there's some Christians that as soon as you start talking about obedience, they'll say, wait a minute, hold on, Pastor Gill. Didn't Jesus come to make us free from the law? Doesn't the Bible said that salvation's by grace through faith, not of our works, has nothing to do with our works? Isn't that what the Bible says? And when I hear questions like this, you know, if I were to answer the narrow, narrow question, I would say, well, yes, 
Except for the fact that, that you're asking it in the way you're asking it tells me you don't have a complete understanding of Scripture and you don't have a real complete understanding of the, of the New Testament birth. So we have to kind of start there to say, what, what does obedience mean if it's not legalism, then what is it? And, and I'm going to do it very simply by walking you through a couple of concepts that will help immensely uh, in multiple areas. But let me just kind of walk through. Okay, First of all, there's this thing in the Bible called biblical law, or let me say it this way, moral law. Now, moral law is not the same as a whole nother set of laws in the Old Testament called the Mosaic law or the laws that were there to govern their behavior strictly. That, that's not it. This is a moral law. This is what biblical law is all about. And it's where God puts his intentions out there so that you're very clear where the parameters are about where you should be living and where you should not be living. Let me give you an example that'll just put it, make it really plain. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it says, you shall not steal. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Straight out there, that's a moral law. That's a, that's a biblical law. It's a clear example of where God's boundaries are so that you can tell at any moment, I'm either inside the boundary or I'm outside the boundary. It, it's just not complicated, right? There's something else in the Bible called biblical principles. You'll find the whole, a whole stack of them all crunched up in the book of Proverbs. Almost every sentence is another biblical principle that's laid out. And the biblical principle takes these, this set of moral laws or biblical laws that are super simple but super broad. It takes these and then it brings them into everyday life situation and kind of extends them or stretches them and branches them so you could see what biblical or moral law looks like when you're in this particular situation. Let me give you an example. It will help. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And what this is telling us is that if you're dishonest in business dealings, if you've got little hidden clauses and you know those are designed to make you a profit, but to kind of put one over on the customer, it's not really as, as upfront and honest and you know, kind of out in the open as, as everybody thinks when they're at the negotiation table. And somehow the contract is signed and you walk away, kind of turn your head and you're smiling and snickering because you just made a killing. The Bible says that's the same as stealing. And in God's eyes, you violated a moral law, even though you didn't technically reach in anybody's pocket, you didn't kind of tap into their bank account and embezzle money, but you weren't honest about how this dealing was looking and you, you deceived them. And when you did that, you, you literally stole from them because of your dishonesty. And God says, see, that, that's, that's stealing. That's the same thing. Now, when the Bible says we're no longer under the law, and it does in the New Testament, it means we're not under that Mosaic law. It means you can eat shellfish and God's not mad. It means, you know, if you, you happen to go to a memorial service, you don't have to now wait 14 days before you can re-engage, you know, with your family in public because you've been around a dead body. And it's none of those kinds of ritual things that they needed, first of all, for their, their, uh, for their health and, and being able to function with a million people wandering around the desert, and second of all, for their, to understand a basic spiritual code. You don't need that anymore. You're free from that. But we're not free 
from the boundaries of, of the biblical or the moral code. In fact, I can prove that to you. Exodus 20:15 still says you shall not steal. And as New Testament Christians that are made righteous by the, the, the cross, by the blood, by the grace of Jesus Christ, we're still obligated to uphold that particular moral law. Let, let me just take a poll. How many of you would just raise your hand quickly, not a trick question, agree, yeah, I'm a Christian, but stealing's still wrong. Okay, about half of you, good. The other half, you know, we kind of watch those people, can alter teams up and just make sure that you're honoring. Listen to me, this is important. Listen, this is not legalism. This is obedience to the word of God. And so we have to understand when it's talking about obedience, it's talking about these moral codes. It's talking about the, these biblical rhythms that, will, that are, are there to help our life to grow. It's not talking about all these little tiny things that will complicate it and, you know, and, and, and make life just really difficult and suck all the fun and suck all the joy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that we obey because Jesus loves us and he's showing us the best and the most freeing and the most healthy way to live. Here's number two, biblical obedience is a demonstration of faith. Here's something else people don't understand. And it's, it's really, it's all over the Bible, but particularly in the New Testament, biblical obedience or when you're coming to the Lord, listening to him, and then you're actually doing it, not perfectly, but you're doing the best you can to start stepping out there or weeding through the process and saying, well, I got questions and how does all that, but you stay with it and you, and you move that direction. Listen, it validates that your faith in the fact that Jesus is the Lord is real. I mean, that's the reason Jesus asked the question, why do you keep saying Lord, but you don't do anything I say? Well, I'm not intentionally trying to be rebellion. Well, well then, then what are you doing? It validates the fact that, no, I, I know he's the Lord, and, I, and I'm not perfect, but I'm trying, man. I'm, I'm leaning in there with all of my heart, and I'm moving his direction. That validates he's the Lord. In fact, Pastor James, in the book of James, literally preached this to his congregation. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, thus also, faith by itself, listen, if it does not have works, is dead. Other translations say it's dormant. <clears throat> it's a non-issue. You can tell me all day long what you believe. But if you're not trying to live that stuff out, then here's the reality. You might have an intellectual thought. You might still have a concept from the Bible that Mark chapter 4 calls a seed that needs to be planted in your heart so that it can begin to germinate and take root and move its way through your life and then bear the evidence of the fruit of righteousness that you're literally living a changed life because you believe that and you're now doing it. But you can't be a person who just keeps saying, yeah, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. I believe in the Bible. But you're not doing anything that it says. He says here, Faith by itself is a dormant issue. It's never been planted. It's never been activated. And so it's really not faith. He goes on, he says, but some of you will say, well, I have faith and then you have works. And, he, and then James responds and says, well, you can say that, but here's what I say. Then show me your faith without your works. And I'm, I would imagine there's a pause. While everybody comes to the obvious conclusion, I, I can't. I can tell you what I believe, but if I'm not even trying, I, I can't show that to you. Nobody's asking you to show it in a perfect, mature, you know, always consistent form, 
But you have to be able to say, well, yeah, I do believe, and I'm, I know I'm kind of messing up right now, I'm struggling, but, but I'm trying, and I'm trying to wrestle through these questions. Okay, yeah, I can see that then. You're, you're, in, you're in the growth, you're in the process. But he says, show me your faith without your works, and then there's a pause. While they come to the understanding, I, I can't do that. And then he says, okay, but here's what I'll do. I'll show you my faith by my works. I don't remember who said it one time, but somebody said one time that we're always to be witnesses to the world at large. Sometimes we actually use words. But more often than not, by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach and we shouldn't share, we, we should, okay? The point he was trying to make was, it's not just your words, it's your life. And so James is saying here, he said, you wanna know what I believe? Watch me, I don't have to preach your sermon. Follow me, watch my life, and I'll tell you exactly what I believe because I'm putting it in place. Let me, let me give you a real practical example that Pastor Brandon brought to the teaching team and, and I just thought was so accurate. If, if somebody right now were to burst in the back door, and they would have say, fire, fire, the building's on fire, hurry, get out, everybody needs to get out. Your response to that would demonstrate clearly to everybody whether you believe that or not. If you got up and you ran out of the building, or if you got up and kind of looked around and in kind of an orderly manner said, well, I, I don't know, I, I, I guess we should leave. I don't smell smoke, but we probably should leave. Your response would give credibility. If you sat there, and you just say, yeah, that, I, I don't know what that guy, that, that's crazy, I don't smell any smoke. That would demonstrate whether you believe it or not. Listen to me, obedience verifies that you believe that Jesus really is the Lord. Obedience validates that you believe that he can do what he said he would do because he's done it. And believe, uh, obedience verifies the fact that because he's the Lord and because he can do what he promised he would do, that your life then will begin to reflect that you are doing what he's instructing you to do. Listen, there's only one alternative if we're, if we're just going to be honest, right? There's only one alternative. We can either say if you're not living this out and you're not trying to do it, either you have an immaturity and you're kind of stalled out like, ah, I don't know, and, and that seems there, but like James says, it's dormant. You haven't let it, haven't activated it so it's not growing and producing anything, or you're in this real passive rebellion. You do believe. You don't like it. And you've made this real quiet decision inside with a smile on your face and with regular church attendance and with an admission to everybody, no, I'm a Christian, you know, yeah, Jesus, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible. But inside your heart, you've made a decision, I ain't doing none of that stuff. But either way, it brings you right back to the same conclusion, then you really don't believe that Jesus is Lord. At least he's not your Lord. You really haven't crossed that line and made that decision. And so this is really, really important that we understand. Okay, let me get to number three. Number three is biblical obedience is an act of loving devotion and servant-hearted surrender. So I hope you can see the progression. First, we said biblical obedience is not legalism. It's not. We're not bound to all this code so that we can be in good favor with God. But because we're in good favor with God, we're his children and Jesus is our Lord, then obedience now is, is recognizing we're part of a family and this is, this is growth. This is how we do it. And now we're at the point that there should be, it's not just, a, not just an activation of the hands or the life. Well, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. 
It's a submission of the heart. I know that you have my best interest in mind. I know that you are who you say you are. And so even if I don't understand, even if there's a part of me that says, I don't want to do that, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to submit to you and say, but you're smarter than me. You know better than me. You're the Lord. I'm not. And I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to begin to move in that direction. Honoring the Lordship of Jesus is, again, it's not a, I have to. It's pulling your emotions round in line and say, Lord, I'm happy to. It's not comfortable for me. This is really hard. But I'm privileged to be able to have you as the Lord of my life. And of course, I'll need your help on this one, Holy Spirit, because I just couldn't be more flatlined in my passion for this. But if this is what you say, then okay, then I'm going to lean in and do this. Let, let me give you an example. It's a different context now, okay? So don't read into this and, uh, and go a different direction. It's a different context. But in my relationship with my wife, Debbie, I, I really do love and I look for things to do that will bless her, that will please her. Not because I have to. I don't buy into the whole, you know, it's a cute little phrase and, and you know, I've had fun with it like everybody else, but, you know, happy wife, happy life, now, okay, have fun with that if you want to, but that's not a biblical principle. I don't do it so that I can keep my wife happy in some kind of a manipulative way, so then she'll just stay off my back and I can do whatever I want to do. It's not that at all. I genuinely love and am devoted to her, and as the years go on, have just such a deeper and a greater appreciation to what the Lord has blessed us in, in our relationship and the sacrifices she's made to stay married to me and to help to partner in life, to, to, to live and to do as best as we can what Jesus said to do. Listen to me, I'm privileged and I'm looking for opportunities to say, I may not like that. I would, listen, I wouldn't do that one time in the history of mankind and I'll never do it again if you change your mind and you don't like it, but because you like it, I love it now. I'll give you an example. My, my wife loves to go uh, to, to, to antique stores and vintage furniture shopping, and she's got kind of a little, uh, a little booth that, that she does, and, and uh, if it were up to me, not, not at any point in my life would I say, you know what I'm going to do today? I got some time off. I'm just going to go around to antique stores. Never. Like never, never, right? But she loves it. And so not only do I do it because happy wife, happy life, I do it, and, I, and I'm right in there with her. I'm, I've learned about it, and now I love it not because I love that. I love it because I love her, and she loves that. You have to understand this is the way God feels about you and I, and this is the way that obedience should posture itself so that we can feel that way about the Lord. Let me give you a few scriptures that will validate this. Jesus actually said this in John 14, verse 15, when he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, there's no authoritarianism there, right? There's no order. There's no command. Listen, if you know that I'm the boss. No, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And listen to this. When that happens, then we will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, if it feels mechanical, you posture your heart and say, Lord, I'm just going to keep doing it because this is what you asked me to do. And that humility of heart will invite and pull them in. And this thing will get very personal. And this thing will get very deep and will get very rich because your heart's invited them. 
And this is, this is the whole principle. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, or I'm begging you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, not by the command, but by the, you know, the, the authority of God, and by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the last one is the one that, that just every time just kind of realigns me. It says, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable is the Greek word logikos. It means logical. If you're saying that he's the Lord and you've given him your life, then the only logical thing is to do is to act like it. To say, hey, listen, I'm putting my life before you on the altar. This belongs to you. Anything that I do, it's because I've ran this by you and because you're approving of it, you're blessing it, or you're the one that instructed me to do it in the first place. Listen, that's the the most logical thing to do. To say that he's Lord and then not do any of that, well, how irrational, how illogical is that? That's the craziest thing that anybody's ever heard, and yet there's lots and lots of Christians that are doing that. So relationship with God, according to the scripture, will thrive in a real and an intimate and a loving devotion, not a perfect one, but it will suffocate if you're doing just a religious duty. You'll never have the relationship with him. You'll never experience that. All right, so here's, here's number four. Very quickly, biblical obedience is a progression, not a destination. I've kind of uh, laid a lot of foundation for this so we can kind of just walk through it really quick. But it means that don't feel pressure to say, okay, I've got to start doing this and I've got to do it perfect. You, you won't. It's impossible. But you step into it. You start small. And then you kind of just, just make it real and make it deep. And then you expand as it expands in you. Then you expand with it and you keep growing. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul's, uh, Paul's talking to this church and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, not just because I'm standing there watching, making sure, are you you're doing your devotions or are you paying your tithe? Are you doing what Jesus said? He said, not there, but he said, but much more in my absence. And then listen to what he says. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for or because It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me read read you this last part in the Amplified. It says, work out your salvation that is cultivated. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe and inspired fear and trembling using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Jesus. Why? Because legally, no, because we love him. Because we're devoted to him. Because he is the one that that is committed to lead and direct our life and to bring us into the fullest potential of what God has. He has good intentions. And so it says we should live this way. But you say, but why, why should we live this way? Listen to the most exciting part that we often miss. The next verse says, for or because it's God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, let me just take two minutes and unpack this. The word work there is where we get the word energy. But here it's talking about the divine energy that comes from God. And I want you to notice what what his divine energy is being directed towards. It's being directed towards what he does. And it says to will and to do. So what he does is, is because that's what he wants. That's what his will. You know what he really wants to do? He wants to do this. And so he puts all of his energy and all of his effort into working that. And you say, but, but why is that true? He says he does it because it's his good pleasure. 
And this particular phrase means it brings a deep feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment. And here's what we can see from that voice. There's nothing that thrills the heart of God more than taking his baby boys and his baby girls and pouring all of his energy and conversation and direction and, and bringing blessing and helping them to experience victory and watching their lives and their character be shaped as they grow up to be representatives of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Listen to me, that's not far off of any good parent. Nothing thrills and fulfills him more. He'll sacrifice for it. He'll, he'll flex lines because for, the, for their benefit. And all of these are part of the promises of God if you can understand that the reason that we work out our salvation and we are so careful is not a legalistic because God's gonna strike me. And No, because I don't wanna do anything to get out of alignment, to offend this wonderful father who's doing everything he can to make sure that I can live with the protection and the provision and the guidance and, and the infusion of peace and courage and all those things that great dads do. This is exactly what he's doing. He's doing it because he wants to. Here's the last one and we're finishing here. Biblical obedience comes with great reward. And you have to understand the Bible doesn't play with words. And so when we talk about great reward, that's just not really good. That means great as in, as in, uh, as in immeasurable. As in you, you, can't even, you don't even understand how many different directions it goes and how many generations it stacks. In fact, this is, this is an eternal reward, not just here on earth, but it extends and goes all the way to heaven. This biblical obedience comes with great reward. And that's what we saw in Luke chapter 11 where he said, uh, Jesus is preaching, and listen to this, and it happened as he spoke these things, a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. And obviously, she's talking about the Virgin Mary. Now, nobody in Christianity, certain nobody in Catholicism and some of those other liturgical branches of, of, uh, of, you know, of worship towards God, nobody would argue that the Virgin Mary wasn't blessed. In fact, the angel actually said that, blessed are you, Mary, highly favored by God. And so she's blessed, and this woman was speaking the truth, but listen how Jesus responded. But Jesus said, more than that, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And see, we don't think about that, right? We think the Virgin Mary's up there in this elite stat status. In fact, some, some parts of the, the religious sector actually you know, worship her and pray to her because she's in this elite status. And, and I'm not saying that that's, that's a biblical thing, but to recognize that she was blessed, no question about it. Jesus, God, the angel said it, and everything validates that. But then Jesus said, yeah, she really is, but even more than that, you don't think about the elite status that you put yourself in, the favor of God you put yourself in because you are obeying what the Lord said just because he said it. Let me end where we started today in Luke chapter six, verse 47 again. Jesus is talking. He said, whoever comes to me and he hears my sayings and does them, he said, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid the foundation. Now notice this on the rock. Not a rock, but on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, it, it could not shake it because or for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing 
is like a man who built the house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and he immediately fell and the ruin of the house was great. Other translations say the ruin of the house or the destruction of the house was irreparable. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't rebuild it, couldn't fix that. Here's what I want you to know, that obeying Christ always brings great blessing, but it's not just about a bigger, bigger life and a better paying job. And I'm not saying those things aren't you know, scattered all the way through the promises of God. It's about a more solid life. It's about a more fulfilling life. It's about a life that's pleasing to God and a life that will last and a life that, should the Lord tarry, will leave legacy. And when you begin to understand that that was the whole reason Jesus stopped and he turned around and he asked them that question, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep just saying, Lord, 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 but you're not doing anything I say. It wasn't to condemn anybody, certainly not to condemn us. It was to try to startle them to wake up and say, why am I doing that? If he really is who he says he is, then why aren't I listening and following? Why don't I let him become the foundation? Can I just put this thought in your head? When he said building your life on the, found, on the foundation of the rock, did you know you're building your life on Jesus? On the fact that he's the one coaching, he's the one leading. It's like some of you are building financial futures based on your financial advisor. You're just hoping they're right. You're trusting that you're putting money in here and money there. You're changing investments and doing that based on their advice. And I'm not marginalizing that. I'm saying, what about the advice of the one who knows everything? You're building your foundation. How do you know you're going to be okay in the future? Because my foundation is built on the direction and the promises and the power of Jesus Christ. It's personal. He really is the Lord of my life. And I'm doing the best I can to follow him. We got some practical things around here that will help you to get started. And of course, pastors and leaders and connect group and everybody wants to help you to find this pathway and to, to make it more consistent and more real. And my encouragement to you is not that you let this kind of evaporate away, but let the Holy Spirit press it down inside. No condemnation, but an inv invitation, an encouragement to say, come on. Come on, let, let's come to Jesus on a regular basis. Let's be honest with him. Let's listen to what he has to say in the word of God, in the voice of the Holy Spirit, whispering and showing you and impressing on things. And then let's say, okay, Lord, with your help, I'm gonna begin to do what you're asking me to do. And I'm telling you, watch based on the promises of God's word, but I can add the experience in the life that I've lived. God will do what he promised he would do. Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand to your feet and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the presence of the Holy Spirit today throughout our service. Thank you that you're speaking truth to us, and I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring clarity to everything we've sang about and everything that we've studied about, that you wouldn't let any word fall to the ground, but every single one of them would get planted in people's heart. Find just the right time and just the right way to bring these things back to their remembrance and to help them to understand and to open themselves up so that you can change and shape and transform them so that you can bring them into the life you promised. We put all of this in your hands and we trust you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. 
For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.